The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and over the coming months I'll be bringing you the stories and important issues from communities all over the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on Facebook or Twitter or you can email me at okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, life for a transgender person can be difficult to navigate. Research by the charity Stonewall concluded two in five trans people have experienced a hate crime or incident because of their gender identity in the last 12 months. People in the trans community are also frequently misgendered or deadnamed. Misgendering is when you incorrectly refer to a person's gender, whereas deadnaming is when you call a person by a name they no longer use. Are there any easy answers in helping to integrate and welcome trans people into wider society? To discuss this, I'm joined by Fiona Johnson of the Beaumont Society, a charity helping provide support to people in the trans community. The KM Community Podcast. So Fiona, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. Thank you. Um, it's fair to say uh, that there's some sometimes some confusion about how people identify if they're part of the LGBTQ community or perhaps more specifically the trans community. Um, so how do you identify and what does that mean? You're right, there is a variation, a total spectrum. There's no black and white or shades of grey, it's the full colour. Um, I would prefer to say that I am gender fluid non-binary. Gender fluid non-binary. And and what what, what does gender fluidity actually mean? Because I think sometimes there's a misconception on what, what, that, what that could mean. Society has this dichotomy and we're brought up with it from a young age where we have to put people into their little boxes. Are they male? Are they female? Are they young? Are they old? Are they tall? Are they short? Are they fat? Are they thin? It helps us individually as a person identify somebody. So if I meet you again, I will say, well, you had certain characteristics that puts you in that little box. What we have here is that the trans community don't fit in the little box that society wants to fit them in. Society hates change, but nature embraces it. So it's a case of, of, of changing perceptions over time then, presumably. It is. Um, in my introduction, I referred to some quite shocking statistics, and um, one of those being the latest Stonewall survey, which concluded two in five trans people have experienced a hate crime or incident because of their gender identity in the last 12 months. Does that statistic ring true with you? I actually think it's less than it actually is. I think there are more instances the problem I know from speaking to my local police force uh, in the Met in London uh, is that a lot of these incidents are not recorded as hate crimes. They're recorded as antisocial behaviour. So the figures are skewed. There is a lot more hate crime going on than is actually reported. So that, that you really think that that's definitely a big issue there that's, that's it, underlying in society? It is a big issue. And the new uh, chief of the LGBT contact for the borough has said that they have made it a policy to try to increase the number of cases that are being reported correctly. I think they said in the last three years they were getting on average about three a year and we know that that's far far too too little. But going back to that Stonewall report because it, it, for it said four in five LGBT uh, people around 81% who have experienced a hate crime or incident didn't report it to the police so is that another issue as well? It, it is again because when they've reported one in the past the police haven't taken action on it they haven't been able to catch the perpetrator they haven't been they haven't got the time or the resources to pursue it unless they've got physical and controver- uh, complete evidence 
to, to identify them. So they just put it down as antisocial behaviour and write it off. Is that a fundamental prejudice then that's happening there? I don't think it is. The police are fully aware of the LGBT community and supportive of it, but they just don't have the resources at this present time to be able to investigate every crime. It's not only hate crime, it'll be burglaries, etc. So have you experienced hate crime yourself when you're going about your daily life? Not in a major way. I've never been personally attacked. I've had a few people say a few words in my direction, but I just shrug it off and I just ignore it. I'm, I'm the bigger person. Well, I imagine, though, in your in your position in the Beaumont Society, you do speak to people who have had contact with people who have had attacks against them. Yes, I have. And it, it is sad. We've got one person who's in our group who's actually just received news that, fortunately, in their case, they did have physical evidence against the person. Uh, the individual spat at them and it's gone to court and they have been found guilty and will be charged in the next few days. So, yes, it, it does happen. And when it happens, the police will take action, but they need to have enough evidence to work on. And again, that comes down to the policing and also the Crown Prosecution Service. They have to decide what is physically available for them, how much they can commit to this. And, and so tell us a little bit about um, the Beaumont Society and what kind of support you offer uh, trans people, uh, LGBTQ people in Kent specifically. Well, the Beaumont Society was actually set up in 1966 before the Sexual Offences Act came into force, which made homosexuality legal, uh, and it is a registered charity. It was a spin-off from an American newsletter uh, called Full Personality Expression, and originally it was a closed society for men who liked to meet up for dinner and dress. And the FPE group from California, their policy was to educate on what they called originally transvestism. A few cases came up in the early 70s and it exposed the greater trans community, so transgenderism, and there were even conferences set up in Leeds and Leicester universities in the 70s regarding it. And the Beaumont Society changed from just focusing on transvestism into the whole trans community. So that's people who are transitioning from female to male as well as male to female. As an organisation, we aren't trained counsellors, but we are a voice, we are a friend, and we can refer you to other organisations that may be more in a position to help. There's the organisation GIRES, Gender Research, and for children, there is an organisation called Mermaids, so parents can contact them if they believe their children are gender fluid or transgender. We have a lot of cases over the last few years where a lot of boys have been saying that they should have been girls. But in the last couple of years, there's been a huge, great spike in girls identifying as boys. And so the ratio has changed where it used to be about five to one boys to girls. It's now about four to one girls to boys. Why do you think that is? I think it's because the subject has become more aware. There's a lot more if uh, you may have uh, some people who would watch something like RuPaul's Drag Race or you've also got more open things that are coming on uh, with um, the gay and lesbian community being far more visual. And there's that acceptance that that's okay and transgender is sort of following it on, not exactly on its coattails, but with it, with the momentum. And you, you uh, I know that as part of your work in the Beaumont Society and, and your work in the, in the trans community, you've uh, recently been involved in working in some studies that, that link 
autism to, to, to trans issues. So you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, there was a report issued in July by Anglia Ruskin University that identified from its uh, sample pool that there was a 14% likelihood that transgender people were autistic and another 28% of the respondents would be considered to have autistic tendencies. Uh, so the identity crisis that people have when they think that they are misgendered can also manifest itself with their autism. So the combination of the two is quite a potent combination. It, it, do you think that there there's any danger with, with that specific study that, that there's going to be a misunderstanding of, of what the study is saying in terms of linking autism with, with, with people in the trans community? I would say it was a very small pool of respondents. So it's only a sample snapshot. But it indicates that there is a bigger problem which people are not aware of. And it is also indicative of the trouble that the health service is having because I've seen reports recently where children who have been bullied cannot get mental health service access for three years. So it's not just autism, it's across the spectrum with the NHS. And you said that as part of the Beaumont Society, you can refer um, people in Kent to places like uh, or Mermaids, for example, which is the, is for, for children yes. who are experiencing gender dysphoria. Um, have you had any cases where you've spoken with children or the parents of children who have, have had a, a child who feel yeah. that way? Yes, I have. And uh, there is a lack of support for the parents and they need that in place and the children aren't really getting the support from the medical profession unfortunately but that's the same across the whole age range the problem we're getting is when people go from being the children and they get into their teens and then so their early 20s at that point there seems to be a drop off in the care so they can get it when they're a child but as soon as they hit 16 or 18 it's a case of well then now you're an adult the services aren't there for them so it's a lot of difficulty for the parents and I know one parent has set up a small group through the Beaumont Society and she's had several other parents speak to her and I've spoken to her in her organisation of it and we are supporting that as the Beaumont Society because her daughter, as now is, is sort of like 20 and she's fallen out of one catchment area and there is no catchment area to take her on. So it, it is a problem. And, and one that's perhaps not thought of by people. Correct. Because I think, um, oh, perhaps uh, the, the reason and the, and that it, what's interesting about that study you're talking about is that you is there there's a small pool there of, of people who are on the autistic spectrum that also are from the, the trans community uh, and and if if you talked earlier about people putting certain people into boxes if you're putting someone down in the trans community people might not consider that or that obviously they could also be or, or autistic or suffer from autism That's right. so it's you know it, it's again about is their transvestism causing their autism or is their trans status the cause from their autism because autistic people have difficulty relating they, they couldn't talk in a normal manner they close off they like their own personal space and somebody who is trans suddenly realizes that i don't fit in with the male or the female and so they close themselves off and that can be seen as a form of autism is it accurate that they're going from the trans community into the autistic community or vice versa? And basically it's somebody who is uncomfortable in their natural assigned gender that wants to move into their chosen gender, but they don't feel welcome. And this is another problem. 
if you're a man and you're comfortable in the male group, it's fine. You transition to the female group, you lose your male friends, but you don't gain the female friends. You're not one of the girls. And it's the same for the boys who have transitioned from being female. They're not really a bloke. They're, they're sort of still isolated. So you find that the trans community is very much a community to itself because they can't relate to the people outside because the people outside don't want them. Again, it's that dichotomy of you're in that little box. You no longer fit comfortably in that box that society tells me you should be in. So you talk about a lot of this is about and a lot of the work you want to be doing and are doing is about breaking down prejudices and barriers to ensure that people aren't being put into boxes and there's a better and clearer understanding. It seems it seems to me as if one of those big things is, is misgendering and the act of um, of assigning someone a gender that, that that's not the gender that they want they want to have that and can you talk talk to us a little bit about the sort of the difficulties around misgendering and, and how misgendering a person might feel when we grow up we are in a family society usually and it's the usual nuclear 2.4 children the girl is usually brought up to be more expansive in the way that she relates to people and the potential that she's going to turn into a mother and a wife and take a male partner the man is usually still expected to be the one that goes out and become the breadwinner and it's the, the provider that obviously in this day and age is not so much the case but we still have that situation where society is dictating the difference between the male and female roles there is no problem with having women that want to go into what were previously masculine jobs but even now you get a police officer who is female She's still referred to a WPC, but you get a man who goes into nursing is referred to a male nurse. We still have this thing where we put them in a job that a nurse is expected to be a woman. A police officer or a soldier is expected to be a man. That no longer applies. So again, it's society not seeing as it develops as it should. And is, is it fair you know, if someone misgenders someone, um, and obviously there's been a pull over the last 12 months of uh, of conversations, news articles, features where people are purposefully misgendered, which obviously is a malicious thing, specifically online, people being purposefully misgendered to hurt that person. Um, is it fair that if it might not always be clear visually that if a person does accidentally misgender someone, then it's not their fault? We have to look at another situation is that we find that there is a ratio of three to one on those actually going through transgender services once they finally get access to them. And that tends to be, at the moment, three male to female patients for every one female to male. A lot of the problem is that because we don't have the support services in place, two out of three of those male to female transitions shouldn't be applied. They should be allowed to be gender fluid, non-binary, and live their lives they cannot cope with being a female again it comes back to what i said about the psychology of the female group and the male group not allowing somebody to transition and cross over and be one of the girls type thing um, it's very difficult to get past that because as soon as somebody goes to the doctor and says that they have a gender identity problem they then have to go through the gender identity process which in some cases is taking up to three and a half years for the first referral. And so they are living in a limbo position where they haven't got the medical advice and guidance to tell them that this is right, this is wrong. So they can have 
as I said, up to three and a half years, where they think they're a woman, but they don't know for definite. So they want to be identified as female, but they can't get the hormones unless they buy them privately, which isn't recommended. They can't get the medical support. So they end up taking their own little route for it and trying to live as a woman when they don't have the support network in place. And it's the same for the reverse for the women who are transitioning to male. But it's a lot easier for the women transitioning to male because you get many men who are short and not so tall and not so broad. So a woman transitioning doesn't have that difficulty. And what I mean, what's the answer to this? Is it is it trying to is it a, a, a process of trying to change the way our language works? Because if if we don't want to misgender people, if we're based on basing uh, gendering people on on a visual sense, which is what we have done for you know a long long time, but we're needing to start to reconfigure and change that. Is it is it using pronouns like they and them to make sure you don't misgender a person? Using they and them is seen as an easy option for most people, but they find it very difficult to get their head around it because they see the image in front of them and maybe the clothes don't match the image they expect. And so they still say, he is a so-and-so, she is a so-and-so. It wouldn't be ideal, but they and them is probably the easiest way to do it. But actually getting society to change, as I said, society isn't one for change, whereas nature is. Where does that start, though? So if we, if, if for example, we said we're, we're, we need to try and change the understanding of that and make sure people are more aware of it so they can use they and them as a pronoun, where, where does it start? Does it start in the academics? Does it start in the workplace? Well, where does that start? Gendering starts even before you're born. You know, a woman is pregnant. Immediately, her family, her friends, her work colleagues will want to know what sex is the baby going to be. They're being nice about it. They want to buy presents. But immediately, she hasn't even had the child and she's been told it's a girl and that girl is then brought up. At the age of four and five, that girl can say, I don't think this is right. I should be a boy. I want to do boy things. I want to live as a boy. I want to grow up to be a man. Um, we've also got the situation with respect for women that men don't have. Again, coming back to what I said about the traditional roles as the man as the provider, the woman as the homemaker that if men were more appreciative of what it meant to be a homemaker and brought up along with the girls as much as the girls could be brought up with the boys then maybe we could build it from the ground up from infancy perhaps we need something like you said about um, schools having gender free uniforms you know non-gender specific if all boys and girls were almost forced to wear female outfits at certain times of the year given the weather and then male outfits so dresses in summer trousers in winter that the boys would get more of an appreciation of what it is to be a girl the performer and presenter tony robinson said in an article a few years ago that he thought that every man should spend two years living as a woman and that's long before the me too movement and respect because men don't truly appreciate what it means for a woman and whilst women can understand men, it just doesn't compare between the understanding that a man has for a woman. Would uh, make almost, as you, in your words, almost forcing um, male students to, to wear, you know, girls, um, women's and females uh, uniforms at school, would that give them, would that truly give them enough of an understanding of what it, what it is? No, it wouldn't. 
but it would make more, them more aware of the physical uh, in terms of the sight and the, as I said, the dichotomy of putting them into their little pigeonholes. It would only help in that respect as a visual guide, but society has got to change and make changes for men to be more appreciative and more an understanding of women overall, not just for the trans community. It seems like it would um, it would take a big push and there would be a lot of backlash uh, if, if that was to try and be uh, pushed forward onto schools. There's a backlash for everything. You know, pe- people are reluctant to change. We've only got to look at what is going on with our vote to leave the EU at the moment. You know, people are saying we should stay, we should go, etc. And nobody can reach a consensus. So you're never going to have the perfect answer. We don't live in utopia. We just have to make the best of what we are and who we are. And I know that you um, you mentioned, in terms of misgendering, you mentioned a, 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 try, a push to try and get workplaces not to, mis, not to misgender people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, one of our members uh, wrote to 100 organisations and bodies uh, and said, what is your policy on telephone inquiries from a transgender person? From those 100 inquiries, we only got 19 responses and only five of them were positive to say we do take action on this and we would like people to bring it to our attention if we don't meet your requirements. Uh, The remaining 14 either said we don't identify with what you're talking about, we have no policy, or in some cases they said we are unaware of what you're talking about, we can't support you as a charity, which was not what we were looking for. We had two returned as non-delivered, but 79 companies just ignored our request as to how they dealt with a transgender customer on the telephone so we are pushing forward with that and we're hoping to get a larger sample sent out in the rest of this year to find out what the companies are and would that be as simple as using a a, a they them pronoun it's listening to the customer if i ring up and i say my name's miss fiona johnson i expect to be called miss but if i ring up and say my name's mr daniel johnson i expect to be called mr but If I say I'm Miss Fiona Johnson and they say, yes, sir, and I remind them and they continue to call me sir, then I am going to get agitated. You know, I actually have managed to get all my credit and debit cards without a gender identifying title on it. Uh, There was a document issued by the government's uh, Women's Inequalities Committee in November 2016, of which the Beaumont Society was one of the organisations that made submissions about dealing with transgender customers. I go to places and I talk to people about my personal situation and saying, I prefer not to have a gender on my paperwork, on my records, etc. And they sort of, oh, and I says, well, here's the government policy that was issued when it was. How are you dealing with it? And it gives them the list of options that they can use, whether it's the gender free MX on correspondence. So some organisations haven't put into place where you can leave that box free, but they do have at least the MX where you can put yourself down as gender fluid. So there's some way to go then? There is still some way to go. Unfortunately, the government was supposed to implement that in their review of the gender equality laws, which still go back to 2004. The problem was we had a change of government. Um, The Conservative government led by David Cameron left uh, to get Theresa May's government in and um, the aforementioned Brexit came into play and other legislation was dropped such as the rights of the transgender community 
Um, and one more thing, uh, Fiona, and I think it's a, it's certainly an interesting part of this debate, which spans far and wide. And I think we could be here talking about it for a very long time. Um, so Sussex University uh, released a transgender policy in June, uh, which said that transgender people must be positively represented. It had quite a lot of backlash, particularly from academics that said it would have a chilling effect to free speech, potentially. Uh, is that the right way forward, do you think, forcing positive representation on a certain group of people? No, because a lot of people don't want to be positively identified. They're not prepared to step forward. We have many members who are scared to go outside the front door. They would like to dress, they would like to transition in some cases, but they know it's not physically possible. They're going to lose their family, they're going to lose their friends. 54% of people who come out as transgender lose their jobs. Although there is legislation to say they can't, the organisations will find an excuse to get rid of them under some other heading rather than use their transgender status. So there is a lot of people who are scared to step forward. And of those that are prepared to step forward, should they be forced to take on a role just because there is a positive, positive discrimination policy? It's the same way as ensuring that you have somebody who is gay or lesbian on the, on the panel. Do you really want to have them there as a minority just because somebody else says so? Surely it should be a case of we wish to represent the community that we live in and be positive towards that community. And if somebody wants to represent that community, they do so. I think part of this, though, was always was also in 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 textbooks and um, material that's used in teaching that that trans people would only be represented in a positive light, which which would be the first time that a group that there's ever been a policy on very specifically representing one community in a positive light. You you have discrimination issues, obviously. You have discrimination policies, which which kind of should blanket any discrimination of anybody. But this is a this was a very specific one, and I think perhaps that's why that there was some backlash on things like free speech because it means people can't have a conversation about the trans community without fear of backlash. But didn't we go through that thirty years ago with the black and minority ethnic community that we had to have to encourage them to step forward to be seen as part of the community? They are part of the community. They're a big part of the community. We just had the wonderful Notting Hill Carnival in London over the bank holiday. Why do we have to force these people into a position? Why can we not just say, oh, you're different, but do you want to join us? Why do we have to say, you're different, we need you to join us? Let's look at it as an encouragement rather than an objective. No, let's make it something that is aspirational, not essential. Fiona, thank you very much. Thank you very much. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.